Please have a seat, and as you take your seat, um, open in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. We'll be looking at John 16, his Gospel, verses uh, 16 through 24. And if you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to use one of the pew Bibles in front of you, and you can find our passage in those Bibles on page 902. So we're in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 16, we're uh, in the, sort of the upper room discourse is kind of uh, these chapters, chapter 13 through 17, are kind of known as the upper room discourse, and it's, it's the night before Jesus is betrayed. And so the, the situation and the circumstances of this uh, interaction between the disciples and Jesus is, is a really tense moment, and Jesus is, is aware of what's going to happen, and the disciples are, as we'll see, somewhat aware, but not fully so. But there is a heaviness upon them. And so let's keep that in mind as we read John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16 through verse 24. And we have Jesus speaking to his disciples here. <clears throat> a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while... And you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. As far as the reading of God's word, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this passage that you've given to us and pray that you would help us by your Spirit to see, to hear, and to believe. And would you help us, O Lord, not only in understanding, but to walk in faith, even in those times of difficulty in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember when I was a seminary student and I was uh, an intern at my, my church, my home church in South Carolina, I had a very close relationship with the with the senior pastor there. He was a mentor to me, and he would take me along on hospital visits and uh, to visit, the, visit those who were needy and so on in the church. And then he would tell me stories of, 
of, of difficult times that he had, times where he had gone to do ministry and, and, and found himself not really sure what to do. And he was gracious to share those times with me. And, and one of those was uh, one of the times when he was a young pastor. He was visiting a young lady who was uh, really a teenager, a uh, beautiful young teenage lady who, by all appearances, if you looked at her, uh, had uh, nothing was wrong with her. Uh, but inside, uh, she was dying. She was in the hospital, and he went to go visit uh, this teenage girl, and there wasn't really anything to say. There were no answers. He couldn't just come to her and say, don't worry, you'll get over this. Everything will be well. It was entirely uncertain in that moment. And so he visits her, and he, he sat with her, he didn't explain things. He, he, he sat and he wept with her and he, he prayed with her. And he, he wanted to have answers and to, to say, I can answer your questions about life and, and that everything will be okay. I want to tell you that, but I can't. But I'll tell you about the Savior. He assured her that Jesus has not lost her, even if the doctors do. That God has not and will not abandon her. And I think about that sometimes, and this has come to mind reading and preparing for this passage this morning. Because there are times for many of us where things happen in life that are beyond our understanding. And we, we want answers. We have questions, why is this happening? But, but there really aren't any good answers Where do we go? Where do we go in such times? Well, Jesus, of course, shows us where to go in our passage this morning uh, because the disciples find themselves in a similar sort of situation. They don't understand exactly what is happening. They just know the moment is dark. And earlier, the John has told us that there is already sorrow in their hearts. And they have questions. They have questions. And so the first thing I want us to consider this morning is the question of the disciples. In verses 16 through 18, we see the the question uh, on the minds of the disciples. But before we actually look at the question and begin to analyze it and we sitting here can say, oh, I can answer that for you disciples. I know exactly what's about to happen. We need to put ourselves, I think, for a moment in the shoes of the disciples. Of course, we know what's going to be happening in the next hours ahead of them. Our, our whole lives and, and even society for the non-believer that you meet later today or this week knows what's going to happen in the near future for the disciples here. Our whole society has been shaped by what is going to happen in the next few days following John 16. So when we look at this situation, we look at the disciples and their anguish, it's it's hard to to understand really the, the depths of their worry. But look at verse 16. Jesus is speaking to them. He says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. 
You know what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about his death. It's only going to happen really in a matter of of hours. And then he's talking about his resurrection. So he's telling them that I'm going to die and then I will be raised again from the grave. And, you know, if, if the disciples even fully understood what Jesus was saying here, it's still really beyond their comprehension. This idea that their master, the Messiah, whom they have abandoned everything to follow, is now going to be cruelly murdered, killed as a criminal. But then after that, he's going to come back to life. This is not really something that they are saying, yeah, we know this is going to happen and we're ready for it. Again, for us, we can, we can go grab lunch together after this, get coffee later this week, and we can spend a lot of time talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus without pause. We, we know it's a fact. We know that it happened. It, it's historical. It's true. Now we can talk about the implications of it in our lives. We understand that this was God's plan of working out salvation for people like us. That the Son of God would, would be born uh, of a woman, would have take on flesh, and would go to the cross and die. We understand uh, when somebody, when the preacher talks about the suffering Messiah. We can nod our heads, I understand what you mean. Our Messiah, the King of heaven and earth, the Savior of the world suffered, died. But for the disciples, as you can imagine, hopefully, that's not what they're really expecting. And you even see that after the resurrection. On the road to Emmaus, at the end of Luke's Gospel, you may remember there are two men who are discussing. They're on the road, they're walking down the road, and they're talking about the events that had taken place. The the cross of Jesus Christ. And Jesus appears to them, and He's disguised Himself. They don't know who He is. And He asks them, what are you talking about? It's in Luke 24. And did you notice, if you've ever read this passage or remember this passage in Luke 24 and verse 21, when Jesus asked them, what are you you men talking about? You know what they said? They said, we had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem. Did you catch that? We had hoped. They, They had hoped that Jesus was the Redeemer, but now he's died. You see, the men, the disciples were men who, who saw Jesus. They were with Jesus and they received the truths of Jesus. They saw His miracles and yet, they were still in the shadows. They, they, they still didn't see the fullness of who Christ is. And so that might help us to make some sense of their confusion, of the disciples' confusion in verses 17 and 18. They're can I get this picture? They're sort of whispering to each other. They're, they're, they're afraid. It seems like they're almost afraid to, to ask the question uh, of, of, to Jesus. They say in verses 17 and 18, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Because I'm going to the Father. What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. It's almost like they're, you know, in advance... Latin class or something. What is the teacher talking about? 
What is Jesus saying? I don't understand it. What does he mean? We, we see that, and, and I just want to remind us as we sit here today, what an advantage we have over the disciples. We see clearly what they saw in shadow. They knew Jesus in a way that perhaps you and I know each other. And yet they did not fully know. They did not fully understand and comprehend how Jesus was going to fulfill the work of God's plan of salvation. And we do. We do. But we also find ourselves in a time in which we have not yet received the full promises of Jesus Christ. So we know how Jesus works things out with the cross and the resurrection. How he lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross. And for those who believe upon him, his perfect, sinless life is applied to you. He rises from the grave and our sin is buried in the grave and not held against us. His righteousness, his, his purity, his, uh, un, his sinlessness has been applied to the believer, imputed to us. We know that great exchange takes place. But there's also a sense in which we know and we have that salvation and yet it's not yet complete either. We still struggle with sin, don't we? And we wait for, and there are times where we long, Jesus, would you please return soon? And we wait, and can't wait, it seems, sometimes. We hope that the day would come soon, that Jesus would wipe away every tear. The Bible tells us he will do that. But he hasn't done that yet. And so there might be times where you might feel like the disciples here in John 16, you know, about your relationship with God. Perhaps you're reading a a difficult passage like we just read in Matthew about the the unpardonable sin. Or uh, perhaps you're going through some very difficult and hard providences. And you say, God, I don't know what you're talking about here. Lord, I I trust you, but I don't understand why I have to go through this. Why is this happening? Even though we live on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this side of Pentecost, we still know what it's like to be perplexed. And the disciples, in their perplexity, have this question, what do you mean? What is he talking about? I don't understand. And so now I want us to pay attention to Jesus' response to the disciples' question, the question that's on their mind. In verses 19 through 22, Jesus responds to the disciples. First, back in verse 16, again, Jesus says, A little while and you will see me no longer, and again, a little while you will see me. Again, here Jesus is speaking about his, his death that's about to take place. And then he's, he's going to die on the cross. And, and when he dies on the cross, he'll be buried and, and he'll be gone from his disciples. The disciples will not see him. But Jesus also knows that he will rise again from the grave. He will be resurrected. And what does he do when he's resurrected? He doesn't go on vacation, take a, take a trip to the beach. and Well, he does, but he's there because the disciples are there. He goes back to the disciples. He goes to visit them. 
And so they will see him again. So in a little while, they won't see him. And then a little while later, they they will see him. (laughs) It's almost like it's it's as simple as that, disciples. (laughs) But what a bewildering, bewildering thing to say. Verses 17 and 18. Again, the disciples. What is he talking about? Jesus knows they're worried. Jesus knows their worry. And, and when he responds to them, in verse 18, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 19, Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So they don't outright raise their hand. Jesus, what do you mean by that? He knows what's on their minds, and so he, he, he addresses it. He says, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you'll not see me, and again a little while you will see me? And so then he begins to respond to them. But notice in verses 20 through 22, in his response to this question on the minds of the disciples, he doesn't actually answer that question. He doesn't tell them exactly what that question is asking. Instead of answering their question, what does he do? He comforts them. And he assures them. In verse 20 and verse 22, Jesus assures the disciples that their sorrow will be turned to joy. And that the joy that they will have will be something that nobody in this world will be able to take away from them. So Jesus, in verse 20, tells them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus is imprinting it upon their hearts without answering the question really, but that the cross, that the cross is the pathway to the joy of the resurrection. Jesus is comforting his disciples. He's assuring them that the sorrow, again, that's already in their hearts and it's about to, to grow to, to almost unmanageable levels as Jesus goes to Calvary. He says that pain, that sorrow, it will be turned into joy. So Jesus doesn't answer their question, but he, but he ministers to them by comforting them. And to help them further, he he gives this illustration in verse 21. Verse 21, he says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. We've had many births recently, and we praise the Lord. And I'm sure there's many who uh, can remember uh, recently the, the anguish of childbirth. And you might wonder, why do I have to have so much pain? Why does it hurt so much? And, you know, the good theology student pastor here who never had to give birth to a child can tell you, well, it's because of the sin in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. And God told Eve that after the part of the curse is that in pain you shall bear, bring forth children. That God tells Eve, and he, he tells humanity that, that it's inescapable that in order to have a child, there's going to be pain. Again, many of you know that from experience. 
And you also, many of you who have multiple children, know it's also true that it gets replaced with joy. So let's have another child. Because what happens when that child is born? It's, you just went through this terrible pain and anguish, but I have this child that I, I love with a degree I never even knew I had. What joy! What joy that replaces the, the agony of a woman's labor. Now, this is the picture that Jesus gives to the disciples to help them to understand what they're about to go through, which is the greatest sorrow they will ever know. And in verse 22, he says, So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. The disciples will experience grief and sorrow that is deep. They will experience that at the death of Jesus. But that grief, that sorrow that they will experience at the death of Jesus will be replaced with a joy that cannot be taken away. Because the resurrected Jesus, His resurrection will not be reversed. His victory over sin and death will not be reversed. And we think about that and you may think and recognize, connect the dots. Isn't, isn't that really kind of how the Christian life goes for many of us? That for one who is a believer in Christ, one who is united to Christ, the Christian often will go through sorrow before finding this incorruptible joy. You experience that even at your conversion. Isn't there great sorrow and grief? I am a sinner. I deserve hell. If not for the Son of God, I would be rightly committed to hell for eternity. You confess your sin, but then you know the joy of forgiveness of the righteousness of Christ that will not be taken away. You have death and resurrection. And the Apostle Paul writes about this quite a bit, actually. In 2 Corinthians 4, for instance, Paul writes this. He says, We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He's teaching us that the Holy Spirit, he, this is how He conforms us to be more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dying to self. Rising in newness of life in the Lord Jesus. And so when we find ourselves in God's providence, when He, when he leads us into those dark valleys of grief and sorrow, it's, it's not because God is just this sort of mean God and He likes to play around with your life. It's because He's making you more like Jesus Himself. You may not be able to say why it is you are experiencing what you're experiencing in those hard times, but you can know. God is making you more and more into the image of Christ. Jesus is comforting his disciples here, but he is the one who is about to plumb the depths of grief and sorrow. 
in order to fulfill God's plan of redemption. And so in the depths of grief and sorrow that we experience, let us be reminded, God is working on us to conform us into the image of Christ. To be ready for the day of eternity. And so Jesus can look at his disciples and tell them there will be weeping and lament and sorrow. You will experience all of those things. And it will be deep. However, soon, it will be turned into joy. Like the pregnant mother going through the pain of childbirth gains the joy of a child. There's a sense in which we as as Christians, if you are a Christian, cannot escape the process of sorrow and grief before experiencing that overwhelming joy on the other side. Really, if you want to escape it, then you need to abandon Christ. But on the other side is not joy, but a separation from God. Just thinking about this, uh, last night in our home we had a a meal which... uh, the recipe's called for these certain spices to be, you know, go into the, the mortar and you take the pestle and you just, you know, you kind of crush it and you bang it and you beat it. And the, but as you break down the spices, you know what happened? I mean, you could open up the spices, you can smell it, but as you crush the spices, the kitchen started to fill up with this amazing aroma. You could smell these Spices, and it smelled great. But the seeds, they had to be crushed first for the aroma to come out. I think one of the great privileges of being in a, in a faithful, godly church that is people from all generations, especially the privileges that younger people, younger folks have in a healthy church, is that you have the opportunity to be around older Christians. If you are a younger Christian, seek out some of the older saints in this room and get to know them. And you'll get to know those who have experienced the hardships of the Christian life. And and you'll notice, you will notice for those uh, older believers, those mature believers who are walking with the Lord and have been through some of the greatest trials are also those who have some of the greatest aroma. Christ about them. You see, Christ-likeness is costly. And the most Christ-like Christian you will ever meet will have scars. Again, Jesus tells his disciples, you will weep. You will lament. You will be sorrowful. Those are not happy words. But it will be turned to joy, and that joy will not be taken away from you. Now, Jesus is not saying that Christians are always going to be smiling, that you don't get discouraged or, or downcast, but, but he is saying that Christians, even in their greatest moments of grief and sorrow, they still have the presence of God. God is still with them, and no one will take God's love away from you. The Apostle Paul will go on to say in 2 Corinthians 4 after he talks about carrying the body of death. And he says, so we do not lose heart. It's a simple sentence. 
Sounds like something you might say at halftime if you're down in a football game. But this, Paul is talking about life and death here. And I just wonder about Paul, how can you say that? Well, he can say that because if Jesus Christ is your Savior, then you already have everything. You already have everything. And all your losses and griefs and sorrows in this life, as heavy and as, as painful as they are, they still will not compare to the eternal weight of glory that is yours in Jesus Christ. So Jesus doesn't really answer their question. But he ministers to them. He comforts them and he assures them. I will be with you. Your grief, your sorrow will be turned into joy. Which brings us to our final point and just briefly verses 23 and 24. As Jesus comforts his disciples, as he tells them, I'll be away from you. But then in verse 23, he, he keeps on ministering to them. In verse 23, he says, uh, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. First thing about this is the question, what does he mean in that day? What, what day is he talking about? He's talking about the, the time between his resurrection, after he sees them again, and the day of his return. And here we find Jesus talking about the day in which we live. The era in which we find ourselves. The day of Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and coming of the Holy Spirit until his return. He says, you will learn. That my being at the right hand of the Father in heaven will not take anything away from you. You have everything you need. So in second half of verse 23, he says, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I will give it, he will give it to you. So there's a sense in which Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, being in the heavenly places now, grants us a, a special and personal access to God. Prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, it unlocks the riches of heaven. And so Jesus, who's uh, going to the disciples and telling them about, you're going to lose your master. But then he says, even though that's true, in verse 24, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Earlier in chapter 14, Jesus tells them the same thing essentially. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so he explains what he's meaning here. He's, he's saying you can ask the Father for anything if you ask in my name. You could probably, if you wanted to, ask God for a, your own private jet plane. There's a sense in which he says if, if it brings the Father glory, it will be given to you. Of course, I would be the first to cast doubt on you getting a private jet plane giving the Father glory, but it doesn't mean you can't ask. But the point isn't to get shiny new things. The point isn't even to get what we want, really. Jesus' point is that you can ask anything of his name, and if it's for the Father's glory, he will give it to you. And the question for the Christian is, would you really want anything other than that? The glory of God. Because this is what gives the Christian joy, the one who comforts and assures, even in our sorrow, turns our sorrow into joy. 
I want him to have glory. And so when we pray, we should pray big prayers. Prayers perhaps bigger than we pray now, but let us at least finish with these words, but not my will, God, but your will be done. You know, God doesn't need us to do anything. He does choose to use his people, his people's prayers for his purposes. Let us pray that the Father be glorified. It's interesting, isn't it, that this is what Jesus is is basically leaving the disciples with as he prepares in chapter 17. He's going to go and prepare his own heart to pray with the Father before he goes to the cross. And the disciples are about to reach their lowest moment in their lives. And you think of Peter especially who denies him, and yet, but all of them really. And yet Jesus tells them, including Peter who's been told before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. He says, ask and you will receive. It's interesting to me, this passage doesn't really give answers. At least not in the way that we would want, perhaps. But Jesus gives assurance. He gives comfort that He is the Son of God. And He has not forgotten our sorrow. More than that, He is bringing us to a place of greater joy. Even if it is through that sorrow. He is bringing us nearer to Him. He teaches us, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Let us draw near to Jesus in this pray. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, we, we thank you that despite the times where we don't know why things are happening or we don't have answers to questions in our minds, Lord, you still give your comfort and assurance. You minister to us. You've given us your Holy Spirit so that we can know we are never alone, that you are with us, even if it is in the valley of the shadow of death. You are with us. You are with your people. Pray for those in this room who do not know you, O Lord. That despite the, the promise of suffering for those in Christ, that they would know that there is actually greater joy in being near to Christ than the promises the riches of this world could offer. Help us, O Lord, to walk in your ways. Comfort us for those who are sorrowful and in grief. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to look our, lift our eyes to you. And would you be our joy and joy eternal. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.